Our scripture this morning comes to us from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're all filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea, And all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew, and it is good to have David back. We have appreciated and continue to appreciate the ministry of Becky Hofner Camp on the organ today, and it's good to see the chancel choir back, coming back in segments, and it won't be long, I'm sure, to the day when they'll all be here together. But there's been much progress made as we pull away from a difficult year and uh, embrace these new days to come. Wind and movement, the air moving at any velocity, a gentle breeze perhaps on a summer evening, the old folks and the older still folks rocking on the front porch, the dog is curled up asleep in the corner, the young'uns are playing joyfully in the yard, the wind is welcome, and the relief it brings on a hot day is certainly appreciated. Longfellow wrote in a work called A Day of Summer, you may remember his words, I hear the wind among the trees playing celestial symphonies. I see the branches downward bent like keys of some great instrument. Wind, a movement of the air of any velocity. Tennyson wrote in The Princess, Sweet and low, sweet and low, the wind of the western sea, low, low, breathe and slow. The wind of the western sea. 
wind. It's a movement of the air of any velocity. What can be a gentle breeze can turn into a brisk breeze and can turn into a destructive and a deadly force, allowing no thing or no one to alter its course. That which can carefully unfurl the flag on top of the pole very gently can at the same time bring destruction, can uproot ancient trees and destroy modern structures. That's been seen and experienced in this part of the world recently. Some of you, it was up close and and personal and it's changed the lives of many. The wind, the, the gentle breeze becoming a destructive force, a deadly force. The wind was a torrent of darkness among the trees, according to one writer. And Shakespeare and King Lear said, blow wind and crack your cheeks, rage blow. And in Henry VI, these words, ill blows the wind that profits nobody. Wind, we sometimes use the word interchangeably with breath. We might say she had the wind or the breath knocked out of her. Athletes, after a competition, sometimes speak of being winded and, and short of breath. In scripture, there is a commonality among the words wind and breath and spirit. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 is translated like this in some versions of the Bible. The earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept across the face of the waters. And we often sing as we just did, breathe on me, breath of God. We might just as meaningfully sing, breathe on me, wind of God, breathe on me, spirit of God. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, described in Acts chapter 2, and you heard that amazing story once again just a moment ago. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want all of us, if we can, for just a little bit to use our imagination and imagine that we can hear and and that we can feel that violent wind that blew through that place on that day. So with the wind in mind, I want to think about three questions that are troubling God's church, not only today, but have across the years, across the centuries. There is the encouragement question and there is the enlightenment question And there is the empowerment question. Let's keep those things in mind. We, and by we, I mean the church, God's church of which we are a part. Gathered here in this place and and gathered through technology, we are a visible manifestation of God's church, God's people in this world. And we so often feel overwhelmed by the pain and the heartache and the suffering and the brokenness and the bitterness the sin in the world, that we wonder how or even if we can make any real difference. And it's easy, not just as individuals, it's easy as the church to become discouraged when we look around us and understand all that needs to be done. How do we keep from falling? 
How do we stay pumped up? How do we keep our sanctuaries from becoming chapels where we only tend to the needs of one another and only then at certain times instead of being places where we're challenged and where we move out into this world and where we embrace those who are hurting and sick and dying. We in the church, and, and not just here, but in, in church. I've seen it and heard it so many places. We, we can pour mouth sometimes, don't we? The litany of ills in our society is a long list, and it seems to grow longer, and, and new things are added, things that we could not have imagined in days past. And the constant recitation of such a list leaves us breathless, windless, spiritless. It just takes it out of us. And a breathless church is a powerless church, a church that resembles Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. You remember that amazing picture that the prophet paints, dry, bleached out, lifeless bones. Can these bones live? The 14th chapter of John's Gospel there is recorded what some folks refer to as a portion of the farewell discourse of Jesus, getting ready to go through his suffering and his death and his ascension back into heaven. So much of John's gospel is devoted to that. And within that discourse, Jesus says to his followers, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. They were dismayed. Soon he would be ascended and they would descend into discouragement because they thought they were going to be on their own and by themselves. And we behave like orphans sometimes, don't we? Like children who've been shuffled and shuttled from one place to another, unable to cope with difficult times and forces of evil. And we become primarily concerned with survival. This hideous spirit of discouragement makes its presence known in the church in so many ways. And we've got to be careful about that. A brother or sister has a plan for a ministry to the last and the lost and the least because they understand that to be a part of our purpose and our reason for being here. And another member of the body has an idea about confronting the powers of darkness. And then the spirit of discouragement begins to sow its seed in the church. That won't work. That's not practical. We've never done it that way before. Can we afford that? Dreams die and visions fade and folks begin to hum the old hymn. I've heard it across the years. Home, home in the church where the gripers and complainers play, where seldom is heard an encouraging word in the skies, they stay cloudy all day. Sometimes it's like that. The encouragement question is a tough one. It's one that God's church in 2021 still wrestles with. Can you still hear and feel the rush of a mighty wind? The first question is the encouragement question, and the second is the enlightenment question. Jesus' teachings are sometimes difficult for us to understand, to comprehend, and even more difficult when we try to apply them in a real way in this world. We get so much pushback. There's that episode in the sixth chapter of John's gospel, you may remember, where Jesus is describing himself as the bread of heaven, the bread of life. And he talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And, and folks are saying, whoa, that's too much, Lord. We can't get our hearts and our heads around all of that. 
That's a tough teaching, and several turned their backs and walked away. Jesus' teachings, sometimes difficult to understand, sometimes difficult to apply, and sometimes they're just offensive. I remember being in a young adult Sunday school class. It was several years ago, obviously. And we were working through a series of lessons from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And on one particular Sunday, we came up on what I consider some of the really hard stuff, stuff we we often would rather overlook. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And somebody in the class that day raised their hand and they laughed out loud, one of those cynical kind of laughs that people do. And and he said, nobody in this day and time can be expected to live like that. You wouldn't last a skinny minute in the real world if you took this stuff seriously. That's not an atypical response, though, is it? Hard to understand, seemingly difficult to apply, sometimes offensive. Lord, this notion that you had that Samaritans are real people too. And Lord, we couldn't help but notice the way you treat even women as if they were real human beings. And your claim that all these reprobates and renegades and rebels are going to precede us into the kingdom of heaven, well, that's too much. We can't deal with that, Lord. Can you still hear and feel the rush of a mighty wind? The first is the encouragement question. The second is the enlightenment question. And then there's the empowerment question. We, God's people, we know pretty well what's expected of us, don't we? We've heard it from God's servants across the years, from Sunday school teachers and pastors and other folk that we've listened to. We know what's expected to be God's faithful servants, but knowing what to do and having the strength and the ability, the power to do it, those are are different things. We know that we've been called on to be a forgiving fellowship, a place where the broken and the suffering and the wounded can be restored. But being able to let go of the bitterness and the anger that we sometimes feel toward other people, why that's easy to say, hard to do. We know that we've been called on to teach and preach with conviction, really believing that Jesus Christ can change any human heart Yet we so easily judge and write off some people as if they are beyond redemption. 
We know that we've been called on to be healers, to minister to the physical, the emotional, the spiritual needs of folks. But we hear the term faith healing and it's gotten such a bum rap over the last few decades. And and so we're not sure how God's healing works anymore. One concern that arises when we're talking about the empowerment question is trying to distinguish between empowerment and enthusiasm. They're not always the same thing. Enthusiasm is, I believe, a necessary ingredient of an active and alive church. I have a Baptist pastor colleague that was a good friend years ago and lost track of him, but I can still remember one of his favorite sayings, and that was enthusiasm covers a multitude of sins. And I think that's true. But enthusiasm can be misdirected. This is one of those old, old stories and it happened at a revival service in Sevierville, Tennessee years ago. May have even been a camp meeting service and one of the barbers in the community was converted. And the preacher told him that since he was a barber and since he met a lot of people through the week and had time to engage in a lot of conversation with folks, he needed to be able to share his faith with every customer who came through his door. Talk about religion and salvation, he said. And the barber asked, how can I get into a conversation like that? And the preacher said, just start it casually. Talk to them about their soul. Ask them if their house is in order. Ask them if they're prepared to die. So the first man came in the next day after this revival service and he wanted to shave. So the barber put a hot towel over him and he talked about the weather and sports and whatnot. And then he lathered the man up good. And he figured it was time to get down to the religious part. So he grabbed his razor and he stropped it a few times and he pointed at the man and he said bluntly, are you prepared to die? (laughs) He lost a convert that day, a potential convert. The man jumped up with the, the apron and the lather on his face and all, ran from that place and never came back. Enthusiasm, empowerment, Ernest Campbell tells a story about an Anglican bishop in England. He was asked to preach at a Christian conference. And for many weeks, the bishop did not respond to the invitation. And finally, the secretary of the conference sent him another note and said, we need to know, are you coming or not? We might need to make other plans. If you're coming, let us know. The bishop wrote back that he was waiting on the Holy Spirit to direct him as to what he should do about speaking at that conference. He told him he would get back to them in about four weeks. And the secretary of the conference responded to the bishop by saying, never mind. We rescind the invitation. We don't want anyone speaking at our conference who lives four weeks away from the Holy Spirit. Could how far or how close we live to the Holy Spirit have anything to do with our questions that we wrestle with of encouragement and enlightenment and empowerment? Concerning the encouragement question, I referred to Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. We, many of you know that story. Can these bones live? Thus says the Lord, speaking to the Valley of Dry Bones, I will cause breath. Spirit, wind, enter you and you shall live. Concerning the enlightenment question, Jesus said to his followers, but the advocate, 
The Spirit, the wind, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will bring to your remembrance all that I've taught you, all that I've said and done. Enlightenment. And concerning the empowerment question, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came like the rush of a mighty violent wind, Peter, you remember Peter, I don't know him, Peter, preached and about 3,000 folks were saved, entered into a relationship with Jesus the Christ that day. And on the evening of the day that he rose from the dead, you might remember how Jesus came to his closest followers, the apostles, his friends. They were locked behind closed doors. They were afraid of the religious authorities. And Jesus came and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So, where is the answer to the encouragement question, the enlightenment question, the empowerment question? Where is the answer? We know. The answer, my friends, is still blowing in the wind. Amen.